0: Open your Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, we've reached a turning point in the book, when you come to chapter 4, it really is a, an incredible turning point in the book, in the first three chapters, and you can put this on your notes as, we're, as you look at the intro there, in the first three chapters, Paul dealt with the doctrines of the Christian life, put that in the notes, first th- three chapters, first half of the book, by the way, how many chapters are in Ephesians? six so we're exactly at the halfway point. point first three chapters of the book paul uh, dealt with the doctrines of the christian life in the last three chapters he deals with the duties put that in the blank the duties of the christian life another way to look at it is is this in the first half of the book the focus is on what a christian believes first three chapters is all about what a christian believes you might use the word doctrine But what a Christian believes, that's the first half of the book. And in the last half of the book, the focus is on how a Christian behaves. How a Christian behaves. Let me give you just a a quick example of that. Uh, In Ephesians, go to chapter 2. Now, in chapter 2, let me see if you were listening. Chapter 2 is that part uh, of the book where where Paul focuses on duty or on what was the word I used? Doctrine, thank you. Is it duty or doctrine in chapter 2? Doctrine. And so look at this doctrine that he's explaining in chapter 2, verse 14 uh, through 16. For he himself is our peace... So, so there's all kinds of doctrine here. He's not saying, this is what I want you to do. In fact, look at the text. There's nothing in that text where he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. It's all about our beliefs, what Christ has done. It's all about doctrine. But, now look in chapter 4. Our text tonight, chapter 4, in chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, he was talking about how he made the two one. Uh, Jew and Gentile made the two one. Now, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, We read this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, Ephesians 4, 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it's simply a practical application of what he taught doctrinally in chapter 2. So when you look at, the, at those, that comparison, it's very easy to see. First half of the book is on doctrine, second half of the book is on duty. And tonight we're going to talk about unity. What's the title on your notes? Say it again. Living together in unity. Somebody said this a long time ago. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. And it is, isn't it? We can all relate to that. Translating spiritual truth into everyday life is not easy. Translating doctrine into duties. Translating beliefs into behavior is, is not always easy, but that is the goal. Paul tells us that our responsibility is to guard and to protect and to preserve the unity of the church. Now, look how he starts this in chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I actually like the King James translation of, of this verse better for, because of one word. Uh, Miss Evelyn, I know you've got the King James. What's the first word of chapter 4, verse 1? You don't have your Bible. Who has a King James? All right, what's the first word in King James? Chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, second word then. I'm sorry. It's the second word. Thank you. I therefore. That word therefore is so important in the book of Ephesians because it says, it's kind of like the hinge of a door. That word therefore is saying, okay, I know what I've told you in the first three chapters. In the first three chapters, it was all about doctrine. Now, therefore, here's the hinge. Therefore, because of what I've taught you already in the first three chapters, now I want to show you how to live it out. All right, and so here's how he says we should live it out. Look on your notes. The call to follow Christ is a call to a different lifestyle. Put that on your notes. The call to follow Christ is a call to live. Is a call to, to live a different lifestyle. Look, look what he says in chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If you have your notes, would you just underline, or if you have your your Bible there and a pen, would you underline, live a life worthy of the calling you have received? Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Think about this. Everybody think about this. Walk with me through this live, talks about your everyday life, a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, I want to dig into that and try to figure out, you know what that means to me? That that means to me that God is not just concerned with your hereafter. God's concerned with the here and now. He's not just concerned about getting you to heaven. He's concerned about how you live here on earth. How we live here Matters to God. How we treat people. Matters to God. How we talk to people. Matters to God. How we use our time and use our money. Matters to God. How we respond to life's pressures. Matters to God. How we we respond to the difficulties. Matters to God. How we attend church. How we do church. What we do in church. Matters to God. I urge you, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I want you to think with me why that would be important. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand something. The calling you have received is a calling that was quite costly. he has invested the blood of his son in you he has in invested his his the blood of his only son in you and paul says because he's got so much invested in you live a life worthy of the calling now i'll try to illustrate this for you i, I was telling you about my brother larry and you know larry's just not sure if he wants to do a heart transplant or not or what he's going to do about that but but Let's, let's just pretend for a moment that. And we don't want to pretend like this. Because this is the worst thing that could ever happen. But let's pretend for a moment that somebody. In your family. Suddenly loses their life. And the doctor says. Now I've got this person over here who needs a heart transplant. Would you consider donating their heart. To this person. By the way, I've put that on my driver's license. My eyes, my heart, whatever they can use, I want them to use it to give to somebody else. Now, if you were the one who donated the heart of your wife or the heart of your husband, if you were the one to say yes, my husband always wanted that. My husband always wanted to use whatever he, you, he had to help somebody else. If you were the one who donated the, the heart of your spouse to somebody else and if you got the chance to talk to that person what would you say to them you know if you got the chance to talk to the person who received the heart of your spouse what would you say to them i know what i would say I, that's the first thing i want to hear that heartbeat right you know what else i'd say i'd look them in the eyes and i'd say don't waste it don't you dare Waste it. That's what Paul has in mind when he says, I urge you, brothers. I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Don't you dare waste it. Because God has invested the blood of His Son in you. Don't waste it. It's interesting, the word worthy, look at verse 1. That word worthy is, in the Greek language, is the word axios. It literally means having the same weight as another thing. Don't, worthy, worthy, it means having the same weight as another thing. I'm going to try to illustrate it with these two bowls. You, do you remember these, um, these scales, the old-timey scales, where uh, you know there was, a, there was a bar across the top? And chains that came down. And they were kind of bowls or, or dishes on the end. You don't remember that, do you, Dave? You've seen pictures of it, though, haven't you? Yeah. So, so you, you've seen this, the scales like that, right? L- let's imagine that, that I am the scale and, and that this... You know, We've got chains connected to each of these bowls. Now, here's what Paul was talking about. In one of the can- containers is the life that God expects you to live as a Christian. This is the container, this is the side, the life that God expects you to live as a Christian. This is the calling, if you will, on your life. This other container represents the life that you're actually living. So here's the calling, the life that God expects you to live. Here's the life that you're actually living. And, And the word worthy means, it means this, that they should be equal. That's what the word literally means. Live a life worthy. It means having the same weight as the other. So here's the calling that God has on your life. Paul says, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you would live a life worthy of the calling you have received. They should be equal. Or I could put it to you uh, another way. In one container we could say, this is our beliefs, this is what we believe, and here is our lifestyle. And the Word of God would say, they should be equal. Your beliefs should match your lifestyle. Your lifestyle should match your beliefs. They should be equal. That's the picture that he has in verse 1. The two should be equal. To summarize it this way, look what he says in verse 1. Let me read it, then I want to summarize it for you. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What does it matter if what you believe is not translated into your lifestyle? Now, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but we're going to go through the rest of it pretty quickly. But verse 1 is so central, but it's foundational to understanding verses uh, uh, 2 through 6. He says, What does it matter if what you believe does not match your lifestyle? So what you believe and, and the lifestyle that you live ought to match. And the reason... Mm, I'm about to start preaching. The reason, the reason that people are so often quick to label Christians as hypocrites is because we say this is what we believe and this is the way that we live. And they see you at work and they see the, the, the language, they hear the language that comes out of your mouth. They see you telling dirty jokes. They see you living a lifestyle no different from the pagans. They say, this is what you say you believe, but I'm not seeing it in the way that you live your life. Paul says, I urge you, I urge you, this is so important, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. These should be equal. At least they should be close to one another. We might always be striving to get them equal, but they should at least be close to one another. They should not be like this. Should always be striving that it's equal. Then, that brings us to number two. Well, tell me again, the, number one, what's the first point? The call to follow Christ is What? All right. Number two, the call to follow Christ is a call to walk in unity. It's a call to walk in unity. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Who is Paul talking to in this verse, or in these verses? If you can go back to chapter 1, verse 1, you can answer that question for me. Chapter 1, verse 1, I want you to read it and tell me who Paul is talking to in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Chapter 1, verse 1, who is Paul talking to, writing to? The saints in Ephesus. The saints in Ephesus, and he describes them as, at least in NIV, the faithful. In Christ Jesus. So when we come to chapter four, verse two, he's writing to the saints in Ephesus, to a particular people who live in that area. He's writing to the church there, faithful in Christ Jesus, and he says to them Watch my bowls again. If you're going if what you believe and how you behave is going to be equal, here's some things you need to focus on. Here's some things that will need your attention. And he tells us five things that need our attention. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of, uh, of peace. Paul was writing to people who had a relationship with Jesus Christ and his admonition was that their behavior should be different because they are followers of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying in those two verses. I, I, I know what he's, what he's going to tell us here in just a moment is hard to live out. I know that what he's going to challenge us to do in just a moment, some of you are going to push back and say, no, no not on that one. I can do this one, this one, and this one, but, but I can't do that one or that one because I've got a bad relationship with so-and-so and I've got ill feelings towards so-and-so. I know there's some pushback here in a moment when we start looking at this list, but what Paul is saying is, his admonition is that your behavior should be different because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. See, devoted followers of Jesus Christ resemble Jesus in their language and in their lifestyle. So he identifies five qualities of life that promote unity between people. He says, first of all, be completely humble. Now, I want you to notice that humility is listed first. Why do you think, talk to a neighbor, we can just divide up, because I'm going to give you several chances to talk tonight, but you're going to have to do this fairly quickly. Get near somebody, move if you have to. Why do you think he listed humility first? Talk to people. Figure that one out. All right, we don't have time to to discuss it in great detail because I've got several other things I want you to discuss. But why why do you think that he listed humility first? Because it's the toughest one. That's pretty good. If you have that, the others will fall in line. At least the, the others will be much easier to do. Yes, that's a good one. What else? God, you've got to realize how much you need God's help in this. So he says, and I like the way he uses or he describes it here. He doesn't just say be humble. He he uses a word to describe that humility. What does he use? Completely humble. Now help me define what is humility. Okay. Let me try to help you with it. Humility, I found this somewhere, humility is the absence of pride and self-assertion. The absence of pride and self-assertion. In other words, when you're humble, you're not driven by pride and to have your own way. You're not driven by pride and demanding your own way. You're not driven by pride and propping up your ego. So Paul says... Make, uh, I'm sorry, be completely humble. This is this is the first thing that needs to be one of the qualities in your life. One of the things where your belief and your behavior need to match. If you're going to have a, a the matching, if they're going to be equal, your belief and your behavior, you need to start here. Be completely humble. Now, before we get too far... Who in the Bible would you say is the most humble person of all Scripture? Who? Christ. Jesus. Moses certainly was. Jesus said that. Moses is certainly. But, but, but if, if you were to say, who's the most humble person in the Bible? It's got to be Jesus, right? Go back to the first point in my outline. What was the first point in my outline? The call to follow Christ is a, is a call to a different lifestyle. What's the second point in the outline? Alright. Here's what I want you to see. When we start looking at all of these qualities, guess who best exemplifies every one of them? Jesus. The call to follow Christ, the, follow to, the call to follow Christ is a call to live like Jesus. So he says be completely humble. And then he says the next one. And gentle. So put, be gentle there on your notes. That's the second quality uh, that we should be looking for. That helps promote unity between people. The second quality helps promote unity is when we are gentle. Now don't misunderstand gentleness. Put this on your notes. Gentleness is not weakness. It is power under control. Gentleness is not weakness. It is power under control. There's a lady, I could name her from my previous church, and I've been gone 18 years, uh, but there's a lady back there that I remember very, very vividly because she was a very powerful woman. She was what? A thank you, that was a great word. She was very assertive. Now, I, I still consider her a friend today. I, I mean, I, I could call her by name, and I, I think we would still be considered friends. But, but she was very assertive, and I'll never will forget, she says, I'm telling you right now, Keith Shorter, I don't care about that meekness stuff. I'm not a meek person. And it was almost like, and I'm proud of it. And I was thinking, you don't have to tell me you're not meek. I knew that a long time ago. I'm going to tell you something about those kind of people. Those kind of people can destroy the unity of a church. Meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. The great example of that is if you get a wild stallion and you tame that wild stallion. Now it's meek, but it's not weak. It's power under control. And if you have an area in this, a problem in this area, you know who needs to be, who needs to be the one in control. It is not your pastor, it is not your wife, it's not your husband, but the one to whom you need to give control is God. It's power under control of God. All right, he says, okay. So the first two things, qualities that help promote unity in the church. uh, Number one is be completely humble. Number two, be gentle. Number three, be patient. Anybody want to skip that one? Amen. Be patient. The word literally means long tempered. This word is used most often to describe a person's reaction to another person who has mistreated them. I'll say that again. Remember now, we're talking about qualities that will enhance the unity of the church. Paul says be humble, be gentle. Number three, be patient. What does patient mean? The word is most often used to describe a person's reaction to another person who has mistreated him. The patient person is a person with a long fuse. The patient person is a person who refuses to retaliate. You might want to write that one down. They refuse to retaliate. That's what it means by being long-tempered, by long-suffering Being patient. They refuse to retaliate. It's the ability to endure without fighting back. The ability to endure without fighting back. That helps preserve the unity of the church. Paul says there's a fourth quality that will help preserve the unity in the church. He says, be loving. Be loving. He says it this way. Bearing with one another in love. It literally means, you might want to put this on your notes, it, really, it literally means to put up with in love. Bearing with one another means to put up with in love. Now before you write that off as impractical, let me ask you a question. Has God ever done that for you? Yes. You say, well, Pastor, you know, there, there's, there's just this, he and I just don't see eye to eye on this. Uh, he just gets under my skin. Uh, he just doesn't see eye to eye on this with me. We, we we just we just can't get along. Let me ask you a question. Come on, let's 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 be real. Do you and your spouse always see eye to eye on everything? Dave, let's have an altar call right now. I heard that we're going to pray. <laughs> no, you don't. Um. Uh, how do you stay together? Here's how you stay together. You bear with one another in love. You don't see eye to eye necessarily. You don't. Sometimes you have disagreements. You bear with one another in love. Now, my wife is in, in the nursery tonight, so I can talk about her. Uh, but I'm going to be nice. I'm going to compliment her. Um, Lisa and I have been married 31 years. You're going to find this hard to believe. I know you're going to find this hard to believe. But... There are times when I get on her nerves. Yeah, I'm just being honest. I, I hate to disappoint you, but there are times, there are times when I fail to do what she asks. There are times when I say or do the wrong thing. There are times when I lose my temper with her. There are times when she gets frustrated with me. But she has stuck it out for 31 years. You know why? She has to. Not really. You know why she sticks it out? Because she loves me. She's put up with a lot in 31 years for one reason. Because she loves me. That's what it means to bear with one another in love. Doesn't mean you always have to see eye to eye. Doesn't mean you always have to be buddy buddy. Doesn't mean that you always have to, you know, just, just you're, you're, you're just like this. No. What it means is when you don't see eye to eye, what it means is when you'd like to hit one another, you bear with one another out of love. And when you have people, going back to the bulls, when you have people who say, okay, I know what the doctrine is, but, but I really want to smack him. You know you know, I, I know what God expects, but I really just want to knock his head off. The Bible says, no, that's not the Christ-like thing to do. The Christ-like thing to do is to bear with one another in love. Then Paul says, "Be diligent. Be diligent. That's the fifth quality that promotes unity. Be diligent make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Literally, it means to be eager to maintain and guard the unity. You know what that's saying? We've got to constantly stay on our toes. That's really what that word means. What that verse means. You constantly have to stay on your toes. Because when the situation is best, Satan will move in to wreck it. I'm, I'm, from time to time, I'm asking our deacons, when we're in a deacons meeting, I'm, I'm asking the deacons, would you pray that God would guard the unity of our church? And sometimes in the staff meeting, I'll ask the staff, let's pray that God would guard the unity of our church. The unity of our church is so critical to the work that God wants us to do. And Paul says in verse 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know what that make every effort is saying? That phrase make every effort is saying this. Don't you, don't you give in. Don't you give in to your fleshly desires. Don't you give up and walk away. Don't you just get mad and say what you want to say. Don't act like a pagan. Don't act like those who don't know the Lord. Don't you give up or give in. Make every effort... Keep the bond of peace. Why? So we can have a nice little church and everybody's happy? No. Listen to me. It is because the gospel is at stake. The work of the church is at stake. The mission of the church is at stake. You know right now, you can name churches that are just a shell of the church that they used to be because they had one, two, or three splits. And they're not doing the gospel anymore. they're dying. They're not out there on, on mission for God anymore. They're dying. They've got 20 or 30 people now. They used to have three or four hundred. Now they've got 20 or 30. Why? Because everybody demanded their own way, and they weren't guarding the unity of the church, and all of a sudden the mission of the church became secondary. What became primary is that I get my way. Paul says. Paul says, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm just about out of time, so let me go quickly to number 3. The call to follow Christ is a shared experience. Put that on your notes. It's a beautiful way to end the the study tonight looking at this almost poetic verses. The call to follow Christ is a shared experience. He says this, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What's the word that you see over and over in that text? (laughs) All one, all one. (laughs) The the word I was looking for is the word one. There's one, 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 one. Remember, he's talking about guarding the unity of the church. And so he tells us that we're really one group. And and he, he lists for us. That we're bound together by certain things that we share. We all have different experiences. We all have different backgrounds. We have different perspectives. We have different attitudes. We have different interests. We have different likes. But there, is some, there are some things about which we can come together as one. There are certain things that we share together that make us one. I, I just got to tell you this... Um, Friday night, I was over at Tanya and, and Charlie Sanders' house. They had a group of people over there. Uh, their daughter, Bailey, had just come back from Uganda, and she was sharing um, about her mission trip and pictures and everything and had great food and great fellowship and just had a great time. We, we were there for a good while. And, and I don't know. There, I didn't count. I bet there must have been 25 or 30 people there. And uh, all different ages, all different ages. I, I mean, uh, just little, well, your daughter, just little, 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 to all the way up to me or beyond. I I hate to say it, but I might have been the oldest one there. I thought about that later. It just kind of disturbed me. So I think I was the oldest one in that group or one of the oldest. But, but from them to me, there was just all kinds of different ages, all kinds of different backgrounds. And my sweet wife, Lisa, on the way home, she said, you know what? He said, that was so much fun, and it, it was just so good. Just to be together. She said, Keith, there's something about it. We, we all had different backgrounds at different ages, but there was something that, there was that common interest, there was that common bond, there was that common faith that we were all just together. That's the family of God. And we are. That's exactly what Paul talks about here. There are certain things that bind us together certain things we all share. You see, the call to follow Christ is a shared experience. So he says there's one body, that's talking about the church. One spirit, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. One hope, it's talking about the eternal life that we have in God's family. One Lord, and what's His name, church? Jesus. One faith, that is our, our commitment, our surrender is to Jesus Christ. There's one faith, there's One baptism, uh, where we identify ourselves as a follower of Christ. And uh, I'm not sure if that means actually physically being baptized or being baptized into the body of Christ. You you could translate that both ways. I'll let you decide which one it is. And one God and Father of all. and, And the way he describes it here is so, so beautiful. He says, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I asked you a moment ago, what's the word you see repeated? And you, some of you said all, some of you said one. And you were both right because it's one, but it's one in all. The call to follow Christ is not a call to join a club. The call to follow Christ is not a, a call to be part of some kind of special group. It's a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ that we all share together. A spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ that we all share together. The, fall, the call to follow Christ is a shared experience. And what unites us, what unites us is far, far greater than what divides us. Would you say amen to that? I'll close with this sign that you'll see on my desk if you ever come in there. It's been on my desk for quite a few years now. I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but the sign that's always on my desk says, I'm I'm third. I've often had people walk in my office and say, What does that mean? So, well, Christ is first, others are second, I'm third. That's not only a good sign, that's a good way for you to live. And really, that's what Paul is talking about in these first six verses. Don't be first, don't be second, be third. Look over your heart right now. Look over your life right now. Are you first, second, or third? You see, God's call is very simple. He wants you to to be third and to live there. Be third and live there. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in in all. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be third. live there I want you to bow your heads for a moment I'm going to close out and ask you just to reflect with me for a minute just reflect with me for a moment could I just rehearse for you what we've looked at tonight the call to follow Christ is more than a belief it really is a lifestyle it's a call that demands Christ-like behavior. It's a call that is a, in a shared experience. It is, it is a call where you don't do what comes naturally, but you do what is supernatural. And as we live that way, as we try to live with, with that calling on our lives, we'll live together in unity. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help each of us today, this week, this month, this year to try to live out these verses, to to live out these verses in our marriages. Christ first, her or him second, I'm third. To live out these verses in our BSF class. Christ first. Others second. I'm third. To live out these verses in our church. That Sunday after Sunday, week after week. Christ would be first. Others would be second. And we would be third. Thank you for calling us. May we live worthy of the calling we have received. In Christ's name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you folks. I love you. Thank you.